I was running the Boston Marathon for the second time in 2018, and it was like 30 degrees and 30 mile an hour winds, and it was raining and sleeting the entire time, and it was just a miserable time. And, and I got to the Heartbreak Hill Complex, and and I was miserable, and I was cursing at the hills and everything like that, and I really wanted to quit. And I was like, I'm not quitting. And in order to get myself through it, I just started saying out loud the names of my patients. In the wind and the rain and the freezing cold, I just kept saying these names over and over like a mantra because they didn't give up and I wasn't going to give up. Welcome to Miles for Change. I'm your host, Jen DeSalvo, coaching you through the inspiring stories of why people run a marathon. Now, in this episode, we're going to get to know the folks behind Camp One Step, a charity partner of the Bank of America Chicago Marathon. Now, kids who have to deal with cancer also have to deal with being separated from their friends, school, their activities, even their brothers, sisters, moms, dads, entire families. So the amazing people behind Camp One Step, well, they give those kids the chance to bond with others their age that they can relate with. So on your mark, get set, let's go. These miles for change are with Team One Step, like kids can just be kids at Camp One Step. Camp One Step is a fantastic program that's more than just a camp. Camp One Step. Well, it's a Chicago-based organization that started back in 1978 by Dr. Edward Baum. Now, Dr. Baum, he was the head of oncology at what is now Lurie Children's, then Children's Memorial Hospital. His philosophy? Kids with cancer needed to be able to be kids, too. Day in and out, the doctor was interacting with sick kids, displaced from their friends, away from their family, not at school, not living at home. He was treating these kids and was hearing from all of them, or the vast majority of them, that they felt anxious, that they felt lonely, that nobody understood them anymore, that they were, you know, isolated socially. And he had this vision. He's like, let's get away from the hospital. Let's get a bunch of these kids and families together and go have some fun. So one summer, he took a group of about 20 kids from Children's Memorial up to Lake Geneva. There, they bunked in little cabins all along the lake. Now with them, they had a medical staff, some counselors. The crew really tried to normalize the summer experience for a week or two for all of these kids who were battling cancer. And it was amazing and it caught on like gangbusters because there were so many kids and so many families who really wanted their kids to also remember what it was like to be a kid, not just a cancer patient. This is Dr. Jen. My name is Jennifer Rychek, but I get called Jen. She is one of the most intriguing people that I have ever had the pleasure to become friends with. I met her back in 2009 when she joined the charity marathon training team that I had first started with. But Dr. Jen's professional accolades, they're just, believe it or not, a small part of what makes her pretty amazing. My name is Jennifer Rychek, but I get called Jen. My title is pretty long. I am an attending physician at Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago in the Oncology Division. I am an associate professor of pediatrics at the Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine. I am the director of the STAR Survivors Taking Action and Responsibility Program at Lurie Children's, as well as the director of our Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program and a member of the Solid Tumor Team at Lurie Children's. So let's first go into your professional work. Yes. So what do you do to help others on a daily basis? 
I do a variety of different things and it depends on the day and the week. But I take care of kids in the outpatient setting. That includes both kids who are diagnosed with cancer and are receiving chemotherapy, surgery and radiation, as well as kids who have survived their cancer treatment and are five years post-cancer diagnosis or two years post-stem cell transplant. Um, I also help diagnose and treat new cancer patients. There are times when I am in charge of the all of the kids on the inpatient service who are receiving chemotherapy with the support of a fantastic group of advanced practice nurses who care for them. Those aren't all of her responsibilities, and it's not just children or teens. The Adolescent Young Adult Oncology Program helps folks up to the age of 25. Because we would like them to finish high school either go to college and finish college or figure out what they're doing and get established in the world before we transition them over to adult medicine because it's a very different world than pediatrics. Wow. And then you also have some affiliations with some nonprofits, Dr. Jen. That is correct. (laughs) I am a longtime board member for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, and I am the senior medical advisor and running coach for Camp One Step. Now, in addition to all of that, um, you also knock out BQs before you eat breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do. Um, I've been very fortunate to have run the Boston Marathon four times since 2017. Wow. Um, and the, well, it's the joys of getting older is that your BQ gets a little bit more generous. Yeah. So (laughs) they've also been moving it though. So give yourself some credit. They've been uh, tightening that up. Yeah. I ran really fast in 2019. That's all I have to say. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So that's uh, a, you're, you're impressive to have all of um, those titles and doing all of that work, but then also finding the time to be able to train. But I guess if you run fast, you don't need that much time. See, amazing, right? But let's just table that conversation about her incredible running career and focus on that senior medical advisor role at Camp One Step. When I first started there, I also started there in the spring of 2009 um, and got roped in because there's an advocacy trip that goes to Washington, D.C. So Jill Kolbach Carlson at the time was the program director, and she heard from one of my colleagues that I liked teenagers. And so I was voluntold that I was going to be the medical staff on this trip to D.C. with teenagers. Oh. And so I joined this crazy place, um, you know, in my first year as an attending physician, doing all these things for all these kids. You know, uh, we took all these kids through the airport, through TSA. We took a plane to D.C. We were, I mean, it was insane. And I fell in love with the organization. I was diagnosed when I was 29 with a very aggressive late stage cancer. This is Jill Kolbuck Carlson. She was that program director that linked Dr. Jen to Camp One Step over a decade ago. She's also a cancer survivor. She told me she got involved with the organization because she wanted to serve and that. Surviving cancer as an adult was difficult, but surviving it as a kid, I can't even imagine. And I can't imagine what the families go through. Tell me what your organization does. Camp One Step serves children with cancer and their families by providing recreational program, primarily camps, so that they can 
be together and come together in a, a setting that's away from the hospital and just be kids. And what we end up seeing is kids flourish and their identity is no longer the quote unquote kid with cancer. They're just a kid and they can bloom into whoever it is that they are. It's amazing. So why is that important? Well, they're no longer the quote unquote kid with cancer and that's no longer their identifier. So they can see themselves as something different. They can see themselves for who they are, whoever they want to be. And they get to really like what we see is we see them reclaiming their childhood. We see them dropping fear, dropping anxiety. We see them making friends with peers who understand their very unique, very scary journey. And we see just like lifelong friendships blooming. It's something that separates them from their friends when all of a sudden they get this diagnosis and, you know, they're not they're not at school because they have treatments and, and things just all of a sudden change. So what does it mean to these children to have these these types of connections? We hear consistently across the board that camp is their second family. Camp is their second home, that that's a place where they belong, that where they don't feel like the odd man out. You know, it's okay to have scars or hearing aids or, you know, limb salvages or be in a wheelchair or have different kinds of limitations that typically separate them from a, a more typical um, group of peers. And there's no, I think, I think what we see is self-confidence and self-acceptance. And it, I think it, I think what they gain at camp lasts a lifetime. Through the years, it has grown from just a camp to an entire organization that offers 12-plus programs each year. Our signature event is our summer camp, which still is up on Lake Geneva for two weeks in July. Um, but we also have programs for specifically for brain tumor families. We have a program specifically for the siblings of kids with cancer. We have an adaptive ski program that before the pandemic and hopefully soon happens at Park City, Utah with the help of the National Ability Center. We have a Utah adventure program where kids go camping and hiking and whitewater rafting and things like that. There's a winter camp where kids go to ski and tube during the week between Christmas and New Year's. A dude ranch program where kids learn how to ride and take care of horses. It's really an amazing organization that provides all sorts of great opportunities for kids with cancer. And the best part about it is we, especially at summer camp and winter camp, will take anybody with cancer from diagnosis to end of life because we have a full-time medical staff at all of the programs. So there is always an advanced practice provider or a physician and there are always nurses um, there ready to take care of people. We can give chemotherapy at camp. Um, we can do, deal with people who may have neutropenia. Um, we don't give transfusions there, but we do transport people for transfusions. And we really try to keep Dr. Baum's legacy alive to make sure that kids with cancer still get to be kids. Dr. Baum isn't just known for creating camp. He understood the need for families to be close to one another while a child is receiving cancer care in a hospital. He's also one of the pioneers behind the Ronald McDonald House. He passed away in 2020, but his legend and legacy lives on. 
Coming up, a former camper who says camp changed her life, so she continues to show up even as an adult. Her story on Miles for Change. I had one more question for Jill. What do the families think? We hear consistently from parents, you gave me my child back. We hear they haven't laughed since they were diagnosed, and now they're laughing at camp. Um, you know, you gave my one mom, I'll never forget, one mom, I, I can't remember, she gave me something. I said, oh, thank you so much. And she's like, you gave me my child back. And, you know, camp gave her her child back. I certainly didn't, but she was like, camp gave me my child back. And after I stopped crying, you know, <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. I am Colin Thomas's mom. Um, Colin is a cancer survivor. That's Ji Young Moon. Her son, Colin, is eight years old. But he's five years out from when his cancer was removed and no longer detected. That classifies him as a survivor. So, you know, sort of, as a mom, what we've been waiting for. Colin is the youngest of three kids. And at the time that Ji Young and I spoke in the spring of 2020, his older siblings were 11 and 13. But several years ago, when Colin was only 20 months old, his mom noticed something was off. So one day we were changing his diaper, but usually, you know, the diaper changer is on top of like the cabinet. But I had just been cleaning everything, so it was on the floor. So after his bath, I put him on the floor. And as I was coming back um, over to him, I was like, his belly looks a little lopsided. But he'd been having a little bit of um, health issues, nothing um, that was super serious, but things like, you know, a common cold he was getting. These are all, I know, in hindsight signs, but he um, had common cold where he had a fever for uh, like two weeks. And I took him into the um, pediatrician office a couple of times and they're like, oh, this is fine. Kids sometimes spike fever, fevers like this. And I was like, no, this is my third kid. This is, we, we didn't have this before. Ji Young and her husband soon after found a hard spot in Colin's belly. He ended up having surgery within days. He was in surgery within a week. And uh, a couple days before Christmas, um, had a long surgery and removed with clean margins. Kids are so resilient within a few months. Um, he was, he learned how to walk um, while holding onto an IV pole at the hospital. <laughs> Um, I think the mass in his belly was really big, so he was kind of a late walker. But once once uh, it was removed, he was he was on the go. He wanted to move, he wanted to walk. Um, and uh, he's been he's been on the move since. <laughs> now that was great news, and Colin didn't know anything was different about him growing up. It wasn't until he was with some friends who noticed he had a scar on his belly. Generally, like for sun protection he's usually wearing like a swim shirt or um this last time um i think they were playing with like branches and it kind of tore so he took it off and everyone's like what is that what is that on your belly like did it hurt and so he answered a lot of questions and i think it never really occurred to him i mean be usually you know when he's shirtless it's with siblings and such so i don't think he ever occurred it occurred to him that it was something different. That's something that only other kids who have been through a surgery like Collins themselves or with a family member would understand. It wasn't until recently that Colin was old enough to go to camp. And his oncologist, who you now know, 
Dr. Jen Rychek, well, she got excited. When he turned seven, she's like, oh, you can start going to camp at Camp One Step. And so we're like, what is that? So, we, you know, she told us all about it. So they signed Colin up. But unfortunately, it was the middle of the pandemic. And the fear of COVID on the population, let alone COVID on immunocompromised kids fighting cancer, that kept camp virtual. How did the pandemic affect the organization? Was it super dire because you didn't have the in-person camp or were things kind of okay? What was it like during that time for the organization? If I can for a second just speak as like Colleen, who was like a camper and volunteer and all these things. This is Colleen McGrath. Today, she does social media for Camp One Step. But the way she got involved is from her firsthand experience. I was also a camper. I'm a cancer survivor, two-time cancer survivor, and uh, I kind of live, breathe, and eat camp. Colleen would say we rose to the occasion and we met everyone where they needed us. And camp wasn't just a place. It was a community. And um, we showed up. We were ready to pivot in any and every which way our, our, our families needed us. The pandemic was really triggering of the isolation you feel in the hospital. When it's like the whole world is at school or at soccer practice or at the Friday night football game, but you have to stay home because you're too sick to participate. A survivor herself, but her own diagnosis isn't where her story begins. So my first real experience with cancer was my mom. My mom had colon cancer when I was 13 years old. Um, I will say, like, I know she had a prior diagnosis when I was a little kid. I know she had a lot of of her primary family members were cancer survivors as well. But, like, I don't remember a lot about it, right? I was really little in that Irish Catholic family where they don't tell you a lot about a lot of things going on. Um, So the first time I really understood the gravity of cancer and that like it was going to dramatically impact my life was when I was 13 and like I started to get a little glimpse of my mom trying to be a superhero but I could tell she was super sick Mm -hmm. um and then you know that that kind of pivoted over a year to you know us being in the hospice unit at Northwestern and losing her Um, And then eight months after my mom died, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Looking back, nobody really could fathom that 14-year-old Colleen was sick. With her mother just passing away, of course Colleen would spend a long time grieving. So stage four pancreatic cancer, 14 years old. um, And my only experience that like I truthfully understood what cancer was, was my mom dying. So I get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I have a Whipple, which is like an incredibly difficult surgery, rarely done on kids, um, done at the University of Chicago. It's like eight hours. They remove a bunch of organs. Like everything gets kind of reworked to get the the mass out. Um, But it's in theory successful. Okay. Because my cancer was so rare, though, they decide the best course is a year of chemotherapy to make sure There just wasn't enough knowledge, right? And chemo needed to be that extra layer of Mm -hmm. coverage. Um, I think at the time I was like the 250th case in the world of like a pediatric pancreatic cancer. Um, Wow. So it was wild. It was a lot of 
random doctors, a lot of students getting education from my case and stuff like that. So it was a little chaotic, but in a, in a good way, because everyone's hands were on my case. Um, so I get like six months into chemo. I'm miserable. It's like every time I get chemo, my blood counts drop so low that like I end up in the hospital with a fever or I need a blood transfusion or so it's like you'd be in the hospital for five days getting chemo, something would go wrong and you'd be back within two days. Mm -hmm. And it just felt like all my time was either in a hospital bed or in my bed at home. And you know, you're a teenager. Mm -hmm. I had no sense of friendship anymore. Um, I always make it very clear. I'm not blaming anyone who knew me when they grew up. No one is given the tools to know how to be friends with someone who's terminally ill at 13 and 14. Um, so life definitely was depressing. I spent a lot of time watching TV, sleeping, and that was and throwing up. You know, that was kind of like my identity. So six months into chemo, Colleen asks her dad if she could quit. Um, I wanted to be done with chemo. I wanted to hopefully live a good six months. And then if, if, if it wasn't going to work, just let myself pass away. I was so sad. I was so unhappy. I missed my mom so much. Um, I look back and I feel like I was also, um, how do I say this? I also kind of felt like I was ruining everyone else's lives, right? Like the aunts, uncles, cousins, sister, brother, my future brother-in-law, everyone's lives was being turned upside down to take care of me. And I needed every ounce of it. Mm -hmm. But I also felt incredibly guilty for taking every ounce of what everyone had to give. Mm -hmm. um, and when you look back, my only experience with cancer was watching someone die. So I don't know that I ever, ever genuinely believed I was going to live or survive. I, I think 14-year-old Colleen thought she was probably um, buying time, right? And so, like, you sit there and you're like, I'm so sick. I'm so miserable. I'm a teenager. I don't understand what I'm supposed to enjoy, but I enjoy nothing. Um, and then I just felt like I was making this really dramatic Im impact on everyone's lives in a negative way. Um so I asked to quit chemo. None of her feelings were in any way a result of her treatment. She talked very highly about her nurses and Dr. Rubin. He was incredible. Um, I loved them. I adored them. They felt like family to me because I spent so much time with them. Um, and so my dad takes me in for chemo and he lets me tell them that I don't want to do chemo anymore. Um, my dad, to his credit, said it was my choice. Um, he had watched how miserable my mom was. Um, he watched how unhappy I was. And he was like, she's 14. I, she can make this decision. I don't want her to make the decision, but she, she can make the decision. Um, and then Heather and Dr. Rubin told me about a camp for kids with cancer. At the time, Dr. Rubin was one of our physicians. He volunteered as a physician at Camp One Step. Heather um, volunteered as a nurse at our summer camp. And uh, that was their kind of deal. They're like, let's have Colleen try this. And let's just hold on to that. Let's let that be like the next thing we're looking to. And we can kind of revisit this conversation. We won't fight it, whatever. Let's just get to here. 
Um, and I said, yes, because I could see like the hope in my dad's eyes. I didn't quite have the energy to fight, but mm-hmm. the one thing I knew is for the last, since my mom died a year and a half, I've gotten whatever I want out of my dad. I always got my way. I always won. Colleen won. Right. So it was like, if I say yes now and I get myself out of this room, like I can get out of it on the back end, you know, like hundred percent, all the confidence in the world. Well, only time my dad ever held his ground with me. Hmm. He never let me get my way. He made me go to camp, um, kicking and screaming, like refusing to pack, locking myself in a McDonald's bathroom, um, anything you can think of to not go. Like it is 1999 and I packed a laptop with DVDs because I thought I would be able to like hide out in my room and not talk to anyone when I got there. And my first counselor was like, we're going to take the isolation bag, give it to dad and you can go home with him. <laughs> um, and so he dragged me up there kicking and screaming. And I had this vision that like camp was going to be a bunch of sick kids, like puking in the wilderness instead of puking at a hospital. Like what I saw at the hospital, I thought was just going to be reflected on a lake. You mm-hmm. know, what do we do? Bedazzle our own puke buckets? Like what could you possibly do with a bunch of cancer patients? Um, lo and behold, I get there and like, I see people that look normal. I see people that were clearly cancer survivors. And then I see kids who are maybe still sick or amputees or whatever, living their best life, like kicking a soccer ball, jumping in a lake, hanging out with their friends. And I was a little intrigued. Um, And my dad and I had kind of like cut a deal on the side. It was like, all right, again, no cell phones or anything back then. So it was like snail mail. If you're miserable, we got dropped off on a Saturday. If I was miserable on Monday, my mm-hmm. nurse Heather would call him to come get me. I had to give it two full days. Okay. I never called. Hmm. Um, we found in his calendar eons later that he had taken the day off work. He was convinced I was going to hate it and he'd have to go pick me up. Um, I never called. Um, he actually picked me up and I was livid at him for only sending me for one week out of the two-week sessions they offered. So he dropped me off angry, and he picked me up angry because I was like, (laughs) I could have been here for two weeks. What were you thinking? You only sent me for one week? I hate you. Um, You're such a teenager, this whole story. Such a teenager. (laughs) Thriving teenager. Um, We can look back and laugh, but Mm -hmm. like I was an absolute terror. Um, And like you can't yell at the cancer kid, right? Like you just have to take it. It is now 2022 and I've been um, going to camp as a camper or a volunteer or now as a member of our staff for a long, a long time. (laughs) Over 20 years. Yeah. Isn't that wild? I think this will be my 23rd summer, I think. Wow. And do you go for two weeks now or do you just go for one? I go for both (laughs) weeks. We have a winter camp I do between Christmas and New Year's. Um, as a camper, I learned to snowboard in Park City, Utah. Oh, yeah. Um, we did an advocacy trip back then in Washington, D.C. I did that. And we still run a program similarly to that. Um, and then I've gotten all sorts of crazy new experiences as either a volunteer or um, working for the organization. So Wow. So but after camp, yeah. did you resume treatment? What happened? I okay. I was a whole new person. Um, 
I started going to school again while I was getting chemo. It was like, I I was a whole different person. My dad at one point said when he picked me up that he got his little girl back. That's what he perceived that camp gave me. And I would, I would agree with that. Um, I went in with no sense to push myself every day. And I came back with this like new energy and like passion for life. Felt like I had friends. I felt like people understood me. I now knew what a cancer survivor looked like. And I felt like I could be that. Um, and it was just like, it was a new lease on life. Not a, Chemo still sucked, don't get me wrong, but it was not 1% as hard as it was prior to going to camp. Okay, so these types of experiences, super expensive, I would imagine, to, you know, go to a dude ranch, hang out, skiing in Park City, you know, going on an adventure in Utah. So how does all that work out when it comes to the funding and then the fundraising? Initially, families had, if they could pay, were asked to pay a fee to do these things, Mm -hmm. but nobody was ever turned away because of lack of funds. In the past several years, we've been able to secure enough funding that every camper goes for free. So our marathon team raises money so that kids can go for free. So to send one child to summer camp costs $1,000. And because all of our staff is volunteer, um, we our camp currently happens at Conference Point on Lake Geneva, and we have, you know, participated in, in revamping some of their buildings. And we actually got a building made the way that we wanted it to be so that we could have a great medical office with rooms where we can quarantine sick kids and have our own, you know, closet that we can lock with medications and all sorts of things. Um, But obviously you need a lot of money. It's a not-for-profit organization and we need to raise money. And so, you know, you get that money by grants and things like that. But one of the really successful fundraising techniques has been having a marathon team and a half marathon team. How many kids every single year are you providing camp for? Last year, including all the virtual components and all that, um, we provided just over a thousand camperships. You guys have the marathon team. Yes. How long has that been happening? How long have you guys had this marathon team that's been raising funds for you? Um, we started it in, I believe it was 2013. Okay. Yep. So relatively recent-ish, re- recent past. And we have anywhere from 70 to 80 runners every year for the Bank of America Chicago Marathon. Oh, wow. So with that... 70 to 80 runners. What does it mean to the bottom line of the organization and how does it help financially? It helps enormously. Um, last year or the last few years, we, this team is pretty incredible and they'll raise any, they raise over a hundred thousand every year, which is amazing. Um, and it means to the bottom line, I don't, I don't know exactly like what percentage it is, but I can tell you it, it funds a ton of camps and it funds a ton of kids and changes their lives. So yeah, Last, I think the highest, the most one team has ever raised is about 200,000 or 185,000 was the most we've ever raised in one year. How important is having that income coming from these endurance runners? 
Well, what we've learned and what is not surprising is that unfortunately medical bills accrue mm -hmm. and it's, a t you know, it's very taxing financially on a family. A diagnosis of cancer is taxing in so many different ways, never mind, you know, the medical bills. Oftentimes a parent has to leave work to take care of their sick child at home. Mm -hmm. So we offer all camps and all programs for free. Mm -hmm. And the runners that raise money are, are making that happen for the families, which is pretty incredible. Give me a little bit of an example of somebody who who is a runner for Team One Step, Camp One we Step. Have, we have a variety of people. Some people have heard about us through um, Dan Bernstein on the score, who's one of our board members, and we'll occasionally talk about it. Um, so some people are listeners that have heard about it, and then and they're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great mission. That's something I want to be part of. And then other people are, we have dads of campers, um, moms of campers, and we have um, like Dr. Jen, an oncology, you know, a, a pediatric oncologist. And then we have the most of the people that we have are just average, everyday, amazing people who have hearts of gold, who want to help in some way and had heard about you know, the charity and are like, yeah, if I'm going to run 26 miles and if I'm going to train for this amazing event, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for a good cause, which is really incredible that the runners have that soul and that kind of spirit. Enter Team One Step, the group of charity marathon runners training for months and running 26.2 miles in order for kids like Colleen and Colin to go to camp at no cost to their families. That's coming up on Miles for Change. I'm Melinda Fuller, and I run for any kid who can't. Melinda Fuller is an attorney. She works for a Fortune 50 company, but she's also a captain with Team One Step. Melinda said her family doesn't have a direct connection to camp, but her college roommate was, like Colleen, a former camper. That roommate is now training to become a camp director. So Melinda told me why she feels drawn to running for Team One Step. You hear these stories that all of these kids and these families share. And it's one of those times where you're so grateful for everything that you have. You recognize the strength that you see in all of these various family members and all of these kids who really just love and take so much from camp. And so that is why I run. And I, I'll be honest, I don't enjoy running very much. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get there, right? Once you're like three miles in, then you're good. You can get in a, in a rhythm. I say that to yeah. everybody. Like the first three miles is going to hurt. And then everything gets into place. Yes. <laughs> the first three miles are always the worst. When people are saying like, I'm going to train for a 5K, I'm like, ooh, go for the 10. Yeah. Yeah. My mom once said to me, she's like, why can't you just be like a normal person and run three miles? And I'm like, because three miles hurts no matter what you do. If you're going to do 30, Agreed. if you're going to do three, those three hurt. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's harder to breathe. You're just like, you feel like it should go faster and it doesn't. And so you're like, this is the three miles is not a fun distance. Like just, just keep running and you'll feel better. Okay, captain and emotional motivator now on the day of the race. And when you're approaching that point, getting through those long runs, how do you mentor the people who, who rely on you as, as the running community that relies on you? Jen, I shared with you that I'm basically just a glorified cheerleader, right? So I am here to um, stay excited. One of the things I really find important too is supporting our team members 
outside of some of what they're doing for running. So that is one of the wonderful things about Team One Step is some of us have never actually met, but we all stay engaged in this community virtually through Facebook, through other means, through these connection points that Jill hosts. Um, And so, you know, we had active service members who were deployed and we've been able to pull together care packages to send over. We've had um, individuals who are just celebrating wins that in in their professional lives um, that we are able to, as a team, support them in that. And so there's just those, the camaraderie aspect of that team and celebrating folks, not only in this running journey, not only in their fundraising journey, but in their life, because they're still a team member first. Yeah, I was going to ask what is uh, one of the most successful fundraising things that you've done, because that is so intimidating to people asking for money. So different people have different hobbies, different skills that you can leverage, you can capitalize on. Um, And so myself, I am a hobby baker. And so I often do these flash bake sales. And because it's for charity, people are like, okay, well, now I'm going to buy these treats because, you know, it's for charity. And they're also way more generous and they feel like they're getting something. Um, I get to put in my time in a way that really supports creatively. And so it's kind of a win, win, win. And so if people play to their talents, think about the things that you would already be doing or things that you could do um, that would naturally lead to a fundraising effort. So what does it make you feel like to be that important part of this machine in order to make sure that kids can be kids and have a life and go to camp? In short, I don't feel like I'm an important part of the machine. I think that this is literally the least that I can do. I am fully abled. I have a network of individuals that are looking for opportunities to give back to the community. And so to me, it is, I am this tiny little piece that helps support everything that camp is and does. And if I can send one or 10 kids to camp, that's amazing. I I say when you have that minimum fundraising goal, it's sending one kid to camp. You are changing one kid's life that summer. I don't think that I am that important to what they are doing as a whole. But I think we as a team collectively are important in what we can contribute to each of those individuals. How has running changed you? Every part of you. I think the biggest change that training for this marathon um, has impacted me is honestly is is proof that if I set my mind to something that I can do it. Um, People often say I'm not a runner. I don't like to run. Most of the people who run marathons don't love running. They don't wake up one morning and say, you know what? I love this so much. I'm going to go run 26 miles, <laughs> right? It's a, it's that dedication. It's that commitment to yourself to say, I'm going to invest in myself this summer. Um, for us, it's easier to say, I'm going to invest in myself and camp this summer. And I'm going to cross that finish line. Or I'm going to push myself as far as I can. Um And knowing that you can set your mind to that and accomplish it, knowing your body can take you that far is really incredible. And I would encourage anybody who had even the smallest inkling, you know, sync up with an organization, give yourself that extra reason to hit the pavement 
to wake up in the early mornings and see all the sunrises or run at night and see all the sunsets, watch the corn grow, watch it get chopped down. Um, you know, there is, there is so much, um, I want to say glory. It, it, it is glory. I mean, by the, when you cross that finish line, whether you're first or your last, you know that you accomplished something, you know you supported a cause, you can be really proud of yourself for both of those aspects. My name is Amy Kessler, and I run for kids who have cancer to give them hope and a better future. Amy is a coach. That means she magically takes people who have no idea what they're doing or what they've gotten themselves into, and she turns them into marathon finishers. I'm a personal trainer, um, and so I work, my primary job is at a health club, and one of the members was a volunteer, and they were looking for more volunteers, and I think I was at that point of my life where dating wasn't going well, everybody was doing other things, and I'm like, volunteering, I have free time to do that, why not? Mm -hmm. People contribute financially, I can contribute my time, and my world was changed the second I stepped on campus. So um, I really am grateful to the member that introduced me to camp, and it's a huge part of my life right now. She's been a coach since 2018, so besides the basics, she focuses on nutrition and hydration. Her profession as a personal trainer helps her with injury prevention and focusing on how to strengthen and ready your body for 26.2 miles. Then on race day, she's out on the course for support. I literally track every runner and I stand there, I stare at them, I cheer them on, where you need to see a familiar face, where you need to hear somebody say, hey, I believe in you. I know you're going to cross this line. I know you're going to make a difference. You've raised all this money and you're going to do something that makes you feel good times 10 because you've there's just a bigger purpose, right, when you run for a charity. There's a lot of different components and a lot of different parts that you serve for this organization. Um, and how does it feel with each different person that that you're able to affect it's i mean i hate to say it's like it's a feeling that you can't describe right i walk away feeling whole i feel a, like a better person i feel like you know i can go and easily drop a ridiculous amount of money at you know a big box store that has a little red circle right <laughs> and uh, it, and why not why not skip that and put that money to where I know that it, it it goes longer, stretches further. Someone gets a someone gets a break, mm -hmm. right? This is no longer about me. It's no longer about my accomplishments. It's about doing good for other people. And in those people, I think that haven't done volunteer work or haven't had any involvement in a charity, don't have that feeling because, to me, there is no better feeling than making someone else feel good. The cool thing about, to me, about Team One Step is every single one of those runners is sending one of our kids to camp. You know, in some instances, they're sending many kids to camp. So I think it's so fun to watch them and they get to know exactly what they're accomplishing, right? It's like, if you, if you run 26.2 miles and if you train and you put your blood, sweat and tears into it, a kid like me gets the experience of camp, right? There's no cost to our families for what we do. Um, and so people like our team makes a huge part of who we are possible. And, um, you know, to me, camp gave me my life, right? Like we, we look back and we talk about how 
I didn't want to finish chemo and it was going to camp and that was the reason I finished chemotherapy and so like my hope is our runners know that like the impact they're making is is life-changing and life-altering for these kids and 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 they get to give them this really incredible second family that now none of us can picture our lives without there's laughter there's joy there's friendships and it's family and that's why i keep coming back because it i mean i have the chills talking to you because it just provides a safe space for these kids to be themselves and everybody deserves to be themselves every parent needs a break from their crazy life where cancer has taken them or their child and every kid deserves to have fun and that's why i keep coming back what separates you guys from everybody else I think one of the things that separates us is that we do have a lot of connection with our campers. You can see the impact that you're making. You can meet them. You can talk to them. And that impact is sending over 1,000 kids to camp, kids currently battling a diagnosis, or kids like Colin who have already fought it and can share his experience, strength, and hope with others who are still fighting. His first camp experience was virtually. He is signed up for camp this summer. And he is super excited. We watch the, um, you know, social media videos about camp activities, canoeing, slip and slide, jumping off docks, um, roasting marshmallows and such. And he is so excited to go on to go to this camp. Speaking of Colin and his family, they also do a little running. They go out almost every day. And last year, their family raised around $2,000 for Camp One Step. Colin and his mom, well, they ran a 5K. And as for Colleen, well, she shared some aspirations of her own. I hope in the next few years that I'll, my health fitness journey will lead, lead towards the marathon. I really do. Um, but it wouldn't be because I, unlike you, want to run 26.2 miles. I, I feel... I feel this passion to like want to show our community that I want to do that for them. But then like also show these kids like we're told we can't do so many things. Like you get cancer and it's like you can't be around other. Well, we all get it from a pandemic right now. Like you can't be around other people because they have germs and germs can make you really sick when you're on chemo. And all, like you're told all these things you can't do. You feel like you're bubble wrapped. And I just want to show our kids that you can do so many things right and like even if you get put in that little bubble wrap for a year or two of your life that like afterwards like prove them everything you can do right like take back that word no and just like show the world what you're capable of watch me watch me Nowadays, there's also a sibling camp. Kids like Colin's brother and sister can also go to just be a kid. And as for the runners for Team One Step, well, they have a lot of connection with the campers. They personally connect with the kids on a regular basis. They've been doing so virtually over the past couple of years, but they get to go to camp. To find out more, visit www.camponestep.org. Special thanks to all of our guests, Dr. Jen Rychek, Jill Colbuck Carlson, Colleen McGrath, Ji Young Moon, Amy Kessler, Melinda Fuller, our producers Keith Conrad and Tony Lasano, and thanks to Mick Mills for all of the music. I'm Jen DeSalvo. We hope that you love what you heard today, and don't worry, we have a lot more where that came from, so tell all of your friends to subscribe wherever you find your favorite podcasts. 
that's it for this episode of Miles for Change. 